Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. With each message and series from Pastors Tim and Nathan, we hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Happy Mother's Day, Liquid Church. Now in Espanol, Feliz Día de las Madres. You know, at Liquid, one of our values is church is fun. And we love to poke fun at the joys and pains of parenting. So if you saw yourself reflected in one of those tweets, you're in good company, okay? Uh, on a more serious note, I also know that this day can bring about many complex feelings. For some of you, it brings great joy, right? Like you may be a new mom this year. Maybe you started fostering kids. Maybe the adoption is finalized. But for others of you, it can bring sorrow. Maybe you lost your mom this past year or you're currently navigating a journey of infertility. I don't know what side of the spectrum you're sitting on this, this day, but I do know that the Lord gave me a message of hope for every woman in this room. So I hope you open your heart and tune in because you don't want to miss it. Now, one of the women who is in this room is my own mom, who is here with me today from Puerto Rico. So as a good Latina child, I got to give honor where honor is due. She has truly been one of my biggest cheerleaders in life. So mami, te amo. Gracias por todo. Now, my name is Kyra, and I'm one of the pastors here. But my biggest calling in life is to be the mom of two wonderful kids, my daughter Gabby, who is 13 years old, my son Andy, who is 10, and I've been married, or actually my husband has been fortunate enough to be married to me for 19 years. Uh, but for the last two years, thanks to the pandemic, I have been going steady with my kids. Guys, my entire life, from dinners to movie nights to being my kids' favorite toys, it's actually all revolved around my kids. But this past year, we broke up. I had to sit them down and tell them, guys, it's not you, it's me. The world has reopened and you gotta go back to school. You gotta go back to sports, back to some kind of regular life. And um, it was a tough breakup. They cried, I didn't. Uh, my girlfriend asked me the other day, hey, um, what have you learned about motherhood during the past three years? And I told her, well, I learned it's not easy being a mom because if it were, dads would do it. <laughs> dads, we love you. I'm kidding. I love all of you, especially my husband. Uh, but I do know collectively, man, we've been on a journey for the past three years. We have gone from parenting burnout to parenting resilience, right? Our kids are the COVID generation. And now that the dust is settling, like the pandemic is waning, I feel like we've been left with all of these effects that the pandemic has caused on our kids, whether it's dip in child development, delays in social and emotional intelligence, a rise in mental health issues. I don't know any parent who isn't facing some kind of a complex challenge that requires resilience. And for many of us, parenting in this season has become the hardest challenge we're facing, especially for the ladies. So on Mother's Day, I wanna encourage you with a message of hope that I'm calling, you got this queen. In fact, I want you to look down the row, find the woman sitting closest to you and tell her, you got this queen. And if you're a guy, you say, you got this king. Cause the men, uh, you know, they have value too. <laughs> but today we're concluding our series based on the Old Testament book of Esther. And if you're just joining us, then let me catch you up, okay? The story of Esther takes place in ancient Persia. 
modern-day Iran for you. And God's people, the Jews, are living in exile. And we have a king and a queen at the center of this story. We have King Xerxes, who is the ruler of Persia, and we have Queen Esther, the Jewish woman who was appointed queen in a pagan land. And God is working behind the scenes, moving these chess pieces into place to preserve his chosen people. Now, if you were here last week, then you remember Pastor Tim introduced you to Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. Mordecai is Esther's older cousin, Primo. And he took her in as an orphan. He raised her in the Jewish faith. He cared for her basically until she, the day that she became queen. And we also met Haman. Now, Haman is the king's hitman. And he's on some ego-tripping problem. I mean, the guy wants everyone to bow down to him when he comes into a room. You guys remember that movie, Planet of the Apes? Bow down to me. That's Haman. And one man refuses to bow down. And that man is Mordecai. Mordecai refuses to bow down to a bigot, and this is where our story picks up today. Verse 5 of Esther tells us this. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with what, church? Rage. He learned of Mordecai's nationality. Remember, Mordecai was a Jew. So he decided it wasn't enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all of the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Guys, when you have a problem with someone, usually it stays between the two of you. But when issues of race and ethnicity come into play, all of a sudden, the person that you have the problem with, everybody who looks like them is also a problem. Basically, Haman is a racist, okay? He hates the Jews, not just Mordecai. Now he hates all of the Jews. And so what does he do? He tries to ignite a genocide. He tells the king, Xerxes, king, we got to kill all of these Jewish people. We got to wipe them off the map. And when Mordecai learns of Haman's plans, he goes to the queen. Remember, she's his cousin. And he asks her for her help. And at first, our girl Esther, she refuses to help him. She says, um... You know, Haman, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces, like every single person in Persia, knows that anyone who appears before the king, before they're invited in, is actually doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me in 30 days. Translation, Mordecai, tú estás loco, mijo. I can imagine Esther is thinking, why me? I mean, even a better question, who, me? Why do I have to do it? I could get in trouble. I could be killed. Plus, it wasn't my idea to enter that beauty contest, so why do I have to help? I don't want to risk my life. I'm not capable. I'm not qualified. I am not the right person. Does that feel to anyone like motherhood at times, or is it just me? I mean, we may not be facing death, but there are certain things in life Man, that they just seem like they're out to get us, out to destroy us. And there's been plenty of times where I haven't felt too capable in my parenting for all sorts of reasons, right? Like, it can be little things, you know, like that one time last week that, you know, I forgot to send Andy in pajamas on pajama day at school. And so he was the only kid who didn't show up wearing his pajamas. And I go to pick him up and I'm like, who, who comes up with this stuff anyway, right? Or like medium things, like, I don't know, like, oh man, that time I forgot to register my eighth grader for her electives. 
Guys, she spent the rest of her year learning how to make macrame out of macaroni. Okay, thanks a lot, mom. And I'm like, you're learning new skills, move on. <laughs> or it can be big things. Like, truthfully, whenever I go to my son Andy's school uh, to meet with his special needs team, I always walk away from those meetings feeling like I didn't do enough to advocate for his needs. Now, I don't know what it is for you. Like, what area of parenting may make you feel inadequate? Maybe you have a toddler and you don't feel like you're going to make it, and maybe you're right. I mean, let's be honest, toddlers are terrorists, okay? They hijack your sleep at night. You're not, you know, you're short on patience. It makes you think, I'm not suited for parenting after all. Maybe your kid is in elementary, and all of a sudden his friend groups are starting to shift interest, and so you're wanting to build in him more confidence, but you're not really sure how to do that. You feel ill-equipped. Or maybe you're a middle schooler, hmm, started asking some very pointed questions about SEX, and you'd like, I didn't really engage with him the way that I wanted to. Or maybe your high schooler is struggling with anxiety over the pressures of where are you going to go to university, what are you going to do for the rest of your life, and you find yourself, man, I'm desperate to help my kid, but nothing that you do is seeming to help. So you second guess yourself. Or maybe you have a young adult at home who's still living with you, they're failing to launch, and you feel like, did somewhere along the way I take a wrong step with this kid? It's eating you up on the inside. And so you start thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not doing enough, or I'm doing too much, and I'm just not suited for this. Guys, I think that's exactly how Esther must have felt ill-equipped for the task at hand. I mean, think about it. Esther was a Jewish woman who was plucked out of her Jewish home and who was forced to marry a Persian king who, by the way, had no idea, no sweet clue that she was even Jewish. And by the time Mordecai comes to Esther asking for her help, she's been queen for four years. And you know what? She's learned that to survive and thrive in a foreign country, you got to blend in and lay low. And now Mordecai wants her to step in and rescue the Jewish people by risking her life? I don't think so. I mean, that's a 180. But Mordecai knows there is too much at stake. This isn't about Esther's feelings. This is about the lives and well-being of the Jewish people who are living in Persia. So he pushes back appropriately. In fact, he reminds her, you know what, Esther? Feelings are not the same as truth. You're entitled to your feelings, but you're not entitled to the truth. Just because you don't feel qualified does not mean that you're not. And the same is true for you moms. There may be areas in your parenting where you feel in over your head, but I want to encourage you today with the same words that Mordecai used to encourage Esther. Verse 14 says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Translation, Esther, you're the right person in the right place at the right time. And so are you ladies. No matter what challenges you're facing, God has appointed you for such a time as this. You are the right person in the right place at the right time. And this is an empty rhetoric. Mordecai's message is a one-two punch, a call to faith and a call to action. The call to faith is that relief will come, Esther. This was Mordecai's message for Esther, and this is God's message for you today. Mordecai didn't know how relief would come. He only knew that it would. And that's where I want you to start. Guys, if you're facing a storm today, 
Don't tell God how big your storm is. You tell that storm how big your God is. And you know what? Esther understood this. She realizes I have to meditate less on the mess and more on the master. I got to think less on the problems and more on his power because I have the entire fate of the Jewish nation resting on my shoulders. So what does she do? After Mordecai stands up, Esther speaks up. She says, go, Mordecai, gather together all of the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I, we're going to do the same. And then, though it's against the law, I'm going to go in and I'm going to see the king. And if I perish, I perish. Do you know that with these words, Esther has been transformed from beauty queen to a queen of courage. She has become the leader with the moral courage and the heart that her people need. In this precise moment, she is a queen willing to lay down her life to save her people from extinction. And so Esther, full of courage, goes to the king and he asks her, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request, girl? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. This is what happens when you put people to pray. Not only is King Xerxes already receptive to her, he already wants to give her what she wants. And so Esther replies, if it pleases the king, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. Translation, Esther is going to throw herself a little party, okay, because she's speaking Xerxes' language. She knows he loves to party, and she also knows the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So she invites the king and Haman to a dinner date. She figures, you know, some chit-chat, a bottle of bubbly, some Michael Buble. That should do the trick, and it actually works because look at verse 6. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, What's your petition, queen? It will be given to you. What's your request, girl? Even up to half the kingdom, and it will be granted. And Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, in other words, king, if you like me, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition, in other words, if it feels, if you feel like it, to fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come tomorrow to another banquet that I'm going to prepare for them. And then I will answer the question. Now, Esther has decided to throw a second dinner party. And then she's going to tell the king what she wants. Does anybody here like telenovelas? Like I grew up watching all this Spanish drama. There's always acción and suspenso. Like this is what I call a cliffhanger church. Like I was reading this this week and I'm like, why didn't she tell the king what she wanted? Like he's literally asking, what do you want? Why didn't she tell him? Why make him wait? Why do you have to host another second dinner party? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I actually have a theory. Can I share it with you? Does anybody remember what is the most powerful piece in a game of chess? How many of you would say it's the queen? If you raise your hand, you're in advanced placement, okay? The queen is the most powerful piece on the board because she can move in most any direction. And I actually think God was positioning Queen Esther for the checkmate. 
God was waiting to reveal to Queen Esther that she was made for this moment. Because watch, watch, lean in, church, because what's about to happen now is super interesting. Between the first and second dinner party, two events unfold. First, remember Haman? He wanted to kill Mordecai because he refused to bow down to him. He was a racist. Well, after the first dinner party, Haman, the Bible describes him as going uh, home in high spirits. He's actually drunk because he had dinner with a power couple in Persia. But on his way home, he runs into or runs into Mordecai. And Mordecai refused to bow down to him again. Verse 9 says, when he, meaning Haman, saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. In other words, this guy had just come from dinner with the power couple in Persia, the king and the queen, but one man's displeasure sends him down a spiral. He's full of rage. So what does he do? He goes home, he tells his wife, and she actually comes up with a great plan. She says, honey, I have a great idea. Why don't you have a pole set up, reaching up to 50 cubits? How about you ask the king if he can have Mordecai impaled on it? And Haman's like, winning? That's a great idea. Bible says the suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Now, watch. While Haman's busy over here plotting Mordecai's murder, a second event unfolds that very night. You see, back at the palace, King Xerxes can't sleep. Now, he can't sleep, and so I imagine when I read that account, you know, he's like tossing and turning. Maybe he sits on the bed. He belches because, you know, like he ate some Persian nachos, and they were spicy, and he can't sleep. Now, by the way, I don't know what you do when you can't sleep, but like in my family, when my kids can't sleep, I just put on Pastor Tim's messages for them. Never fails, okay? <laughs> but um, King Cersei, he does not have a TV. So what does he do? He calls the next best thing, which is for a guy to come and read him the book of records. Now, the book of records is where all of the happenings around Susa take place. Susa is where they live. So it's very trivial stuff. So basically, Xerxes is asking for boring things to be read to him so that he can fall to sleep. And so the guy comes in with his scroll, and he drones on and on and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, he reads this. It was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed two of the king's officers who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Say, what now? Okay, church, don't lose track, track with me. You remember last week, we learned that Mordecai basically uncovered a plot between two palace guards who wanted to kill Xerxes. And Mordecai told Esther, who told the king and saved his life. And all of that was recorded in this book, in the book of records. But nothing was done to reward Mordecai until now. Because guess what happens the next day? Haman wakes up, the king wakes up, they both go into the palace, and they both have Mordecai on their minds. Xerxes wants to honor Mordecai. Haman wants to kill him. And so the king goes to Haman and says, Hey man, um, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Like what should I do to reward someone? And Haman, who's not only a hitman racist, he's also a narcissist, 
he actually thinks the king is talking about him. And so he gets greedy. He's like, oh, well, you know, king, uh, why don't you do this? Um, how about you um, robe the man that the king delights to honor? You lead him on a horse through the city streets and you proclaim for everyone to hear, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And Xerxes like, bingo, let's do that. In fact, guards, bring Mordecai into the palace. Let's roll out the red carpet in. And I can imagine Haman's like, wait, what? Mordecai? You're talking about Mordecai? You're not talking about me? And all of a sudden, Haman, who planned to put Mordecai on a spike, now has to sit back and watch God put him on a horse. Haman, who planned to lead Mordecai to the gallows, to the sound of jeers, now has to watch God lead Mordecai through the streets to the sounds of cheers. Do you know what's happening? Haman is being humiliated while Mordecai is being magnified. Now that's what I say, poetic justice in Persian, okay? This is the first of two major moves that God is making through Queen Esther. And to make matters worse, that very night, Esther invites the king and Haman again for the second dinner party. Remember that? They still have that party to go to. And so as I'm reading this, I imagine, you know, the wine is flowing. There's a lot of food. Food's aplenty. And I would imagine Haman wants to pour himself a stiff drink to forget his day. I mean, this guy has had an awful day. And he's about to pour himself a drink when all of a sudden the king asks, um, Queen Esther, what's your petition, girl? It will be given to you. What's your request? even up to half the kingdom, and it will be granted. Guys, this is the second time that Xerxes has asked Esther this question. And the first time, if you remember, Esther didn't tell him. But now the time is right. Destiny came calling because Esther was made for this moment. She's a queen with a purpose. And so she responds to the king, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And if we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Do you know what's actually happening right now in this moment? Esther, the Persian princess, has just revealed she is Esther, the Jewish queen. And in doing so, she has linked her fate to the fate of God's people. And I can imagine King Cersei is like, wait, what? Someone wants to kill the Jews? Wait, you're a Jew? Wait, you mean someone's plotting to kill my queen? He's like connecting all these dots. And so he asked the next logical thing, which is to say, well, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? And here it is, church. Esther goes and says, an adversary, an enemy. This vile Haman. Guys, this is Esther's checkmate moment. Because Xerxes is livid. He's fuming. He's seething with rage. He's angry at Haman for making him a fool. The Bible says the king actually got up in what? A rage. He left his wine. He went out into the palace garden, probably storming. 
And Haman has no other choice than to throw himself literally on the mercy of Esther. The Bible says Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, and it's not looking good, stayed behind to, what's the word, church? Beg Queen Esther for his life. And just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. In other words, Haman, who wanted to kill a Jew because he wouldn't fall down in his presence, is now caught falling down before a Jew. Guys, can you say ironic? And the ironies continue because the next thing we read is that one of the guards looks out the window at the 75-foot gallows that Haman had built to impale Mordecai. I literally can imagine the guard saying, um, I have an idea. There's a pole outside of the window. Maybe we could use that. And look at what the, the king says. He says, yeah, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole that he had set up for Mordecai. Church, Haman has gone from second in command to shish kebab on a stake. How many of you know, we don't just serve a God of love, we serve a God of justice, amen? Nothing escapes him, no one escapes him. So understand, we remember God's love, but we don't forget his justice. God is gracious to those who trust him, but he's serious about punishing those who dismiss him. Don't think for a moment that God turns a blind eye to acts of rebellion or even deeds of malice. How do I know? Because the Bible says so. Look at Romans 2. It says he will judge everyone according to what they have done. Now, I don't know what kind of Hamans have wormed their way into your world, into your kids' lives. But can I tell you about mine? This past fall, my daughter Gabby experienced bullying at school. Now, if you know her, you know she's petite, about 4'11". And for reasons that I still don't understand, some of the boys in her class started calling her vile names. The B word, telling her to shut the F up, putting beans in her backpack as a racist joke, nasty stuff. And the Haymans that we faced were three boys, almost six feet tall, bullying, intimidating and harassing a girl almost a foot shorter. To tell you that I went through every emotion on the spectrum is an understatement. Anger, anger, anger. And my husband and I had to go to the school. We filed a HIB complaint. It stands for harassment, intimidation, and bullying. The school obviously had to intervene. They interviewed my daughter, they interviewed the boys, the friends that witnessed some of these incidents. They talked to us, they talked to the teacher. It was a long and very stressful process. And one night I came home and I said, this is an attempt against the image of God that is stamped inside of my daughter. So I'm going to play like Esther. I'm going to call everyone back home who loves my daughter, and I'm going to ask them to pray. I called my parents, my brother, my husband's parents, everybody who loves my kid. I asked them to pray for us. When Esther asked the Jewish people to pray and fast for three days, do you know what they did? They opened up their hearts, not to the king of Persia, but to the king of heaven. 
They prayed on behalf of all of the Jewish families and children because isn't that what a mother does to save her children and her family? When mothering gets hard, when life gets tough, we pray our way through it because a praying queen can change the world. Esther's three days of prayer and fasting resulted in a surge of courage. And our family's prayers over our daughter's situation, it gave us the courage that we needed to see this process through. And eventually, like Esther, we won our case. The boys were removed from every single class that my daughter was in. Some even apologized to her, and my daughter got to restore her human dignity. A praying queen can change the world. Church, I don't know what kind of Haman is lurking around your family's lives. There may not be a written decree right now like the one King Xerxes signed against the Jewish people, but make no mistake, there is a culture in our world right now that wants nothing else than your family's destruction. And so maybe you're sitting here today, you're struggling with depression, anxiety, you're believing the culture's lies, you're never going to measure up. You're not worthy enough. Maybe it's racism. Your child's skin color has left him experiencing rejection and pain. Maybe you work for a Haman. Man, your boss is a creep, out of touch with reality. Maybe your Haman is simple physical exhaustion from the labors of mothering. If that's you, I'm sorry. I truly am. But with every ounce of energy that I have in me, can I tell you, don't give in and don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't be done in by bad news. Don't fall victim to the voices of panic or discouragement because you have a good God. And if the book of Esther teaches us anything, it's that today's crisis will be tomorrow's conquest. Church, when her world was coming apart, God intervened and said, things aren't falling to pieces, Esther. They're falling into place. You got this, queen. What the enemy meant for evil, I meant for good. The saving of many lives. So church, I came here today to tell somebody, God is the grandmaster of your life. He's writing your story, and he alone can turn your crisis into a conquest. He'll turn your test into a testimony, because in God's hands, your mess can be a message of God's grace and power to save. Because Mordecai stood up, and Esther spoke up. Haman the hater was defeated, and King Xerxes had no other choice but to issue another decree, granting the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and defend their lives. And that's how the Jews defeated the Persians. That is the checkmate. Ladies, I want you to trust in the hidden hand of God. Remember, God made you for this moment. He made you to be a mom. He made you to be an aunt, a sister, a grandmother. He gave you a family to love, to care and defend for a time such as this. So if you're a single mom, I'm here to tell you, you got this queen. If you're a special needs mom, you got this queen. If you're a foster mom, you got this queen. 
If you're an aunt, a friend, a grandma, a sister, an adoptive mom, all of you women in the room, you got this queen. Can we say it all together? Say it with me, church. You got this queen. Always remember, you were made for this moment by a God who loved you so much that he gave his only one son, Jesus Christ, to save you. Did you know that? God thinks you are worth so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, do you know what happens? You receive forgiveness of sins and you have the hope of heaven. And if you put your faith in Christ today, you're going to be transformed. I know some of you here today are thinking, I can't do it, Kyra. I'm not a queen. I'm not worthy enough. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm ill-equipped, but I'm here to tell you, when you put your trust in Jesus, you become a true queen, the beloved daughter of King Jesus. Amen, church? So to end our time together, I want to invite all of the women in this room, all of the women under the sound of my voice, to extend your hands. So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for every woman here today. Let's bow our heads, church. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for every woman who has her hands extended today. I thank you, Lord, that this prayer gives each and every one of them a surge of courage to know and understand there isn't a single situation happening in their lives that your providential and sovereign hand doesn't have a hand on. I thank you that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, that we put our trust in the hidden hand of God, knowing that you are the one who is steering our lives and our families' lives in the hands of a living and loving God. I thank you for that truth, Lord. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I want to invite you to pray a short prayer with me. In fact, I'd like to invite everyone here to say a super simple prayer out loud. Can we say these words out loud, everyone here with me? Let's say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on a cross to forgive my sins. I turn from them now. And today I invite you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I receive the gift of eternal life. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. I want to live the rest of my life for you and with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone say together, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that salvation prayer, let me be the first to welcome you into the family of God. The Bible says you have been born again into true faith in Christ. And if you're a woman, happy Mother's Day. Feliz Día de las Madres. Listen, before you go, we want to help you remember who you are in God's eyes. So we want to give all the ladies here a little gift as a Mother's Day. Uh, this is a bracelet with a little, uh, little crown who's going to help you remember. You got this, queen. Your life and the lives of your family are not a random assortment of disconnected events. Never forget you have been chosen by God for such a time as this. Your life and the life of your family are safe in the hands of a loving God. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day, Liquid Church.
thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.